to Eternal Flame, Passing the Torch with Sean Michael. The Eternal Flame, Passing the Torch is a podcast about sharing knowledge. Since the beginning of humankind, knowledge has passed from one to another. This podcast is about having real conversations with everyday people, learning from their life experiences, and giving a voice to people who are trying to put good into the world. This podcast is politically and religiously neutral and is designed to foster unity and healing in a world divided. The things that unite us are far greater than the things that divide us. The eternal flame, passing the torch of knowledge from one individual to the next. Joining us today is Jeremy Martin. Jeremy is a father, an EMT, and an MC known as Macrophonic. He is also a mixed martial artist and has served as a combat medic in the U.S. Army. Jeremy is someone with endless stories and an abundance of knowledge to share. He is truly an awesome human, and we are excited to have him on the show. Everyone, please give a warm welcome to Jeremy Martin. Jeremy, thank you for joining us. Tell us about yourself, your professional experience, and a little bit about who you are. My family is of Irish lineage. I am the oldest of seven. I have done many jobs in my life, vastly different jobs. I am uh, currently an advanced EMT for Vitalink. I was combat medic in the army. I have bartended. I have tattooed. I have done concrete. I have swept parking lots like... I've done crazy. I've managed bars. I've managed businesses. Done a bunch of different things. I'm an all-around knucklehead, though. I have fought quite a bit. Um, I've I've been in martial arts since I was in kindergarten. I started literally in kindergarten, and then uh, I've I studied probably ten different disciplines. I do stunt work. Um, I do some background acting stuff. I am a father of two, and I have been married for almost eighteen years. My family is my drive through whatever I do. There's always a balance in everything. And I try to find the Marty Amarga. The, the, that's a, a Hindi phrase for the middle road. So what are the most important life lessons that you've had to learn that you wish you knew when you were 18? <laughs> Specifically that I wish I knew when I, when I was 18, huh? I fully 1000% did not expect to live until I was 18. I uh, grew up in a rough area. And gangbanging was a day, like a, a way of life. We didn't know who was going to be at school Monday. I wish that I would have been able to tell myself to go with art, to work on craft instead of run with the people I was running with. I did drama, like I, I competed in, in drama, uh, poetry, interp, and solo acting and stuff like that. And then I was in band as well, so I played tritoms. So I wish I would have gone that route, you know what I mean? Because there was several times that I almost died. I think that I have learned uh, one of the most important things in life is to make people laugh. Sincerely, you can change people's lives by making them laugh. You can save someone's life with humor, with, with comedy, with happiness. And that is something I wish I would have learned earlier. The other thing is uh, I read an author that I, I really like is Dan Millman. And in one of his books, he said, right here and right now, that's all we have. Don't look backwards to the past. You're not going that way. It's already happened. Done. The future, who knows? Anything could happen You know, in the future. So don't concern yourself with the future. The only things we can control is right here where we are and right now, what we're doing right now. As long as I feel like I can put positivity out, that is what it's all about, really. Almost every single person that I know struggles with darkness from time to time. I will always talk to to anyone that's that's having any 
difficulty dealing with darkness because I think that as someone who grew up with darkness surrounding them, it takes truly knowing darkness to be able to show people what light is. So talk to me about a time when you had to stand in your power, the discomfort of that, and what the end result was. Not necessarily because of my own choice. I went to basic training. (laughs) I went to the, the military. And I had never really been away from home for a long amount of time. I did this thing that's called split option, which means during my junior year in high school, I would go to basic training during that summer, then I'd come back and do my senior year in high school. And then directly after the senior year in high school, I'd go AIT, which is advanced individual training, which is what your job is in the military. Mine was combat medic. That was, that was daunting. That was, I was 17 years old and I had no clue what I was doing (laughs) when I went to basic training. Firstly, I can't underscore how (laughs) traumatically scary (laughs) The shit is. <laughs> you go to this place called MEPS and you get physically checked out. And I mean, intrusively physically checked out and it sucked. But uh, once you're cleared, um, then you, you get on a bus and they bus you to a location. There are drill sergeants sitting on the bus and they won't say a word to you. Nothing. You get in and you sit down and everybody's riding. It's really quiet, really early in the morning, really, really early. And then you get to the location and that door opens and it's screaming and go, 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 go. That was one of a billion moments in my life that I was like, there's no one to help me. This is me doing this. I have to get through this. I'm not going to quit. I will never fail. If I set my mind to it, I'm going to get through whatever, like bring it on. But that moment when they started screaming, and everybody started filing off the bus. I was like, oh my God, what did I get into? Like, what have I gotten myself into? This is just horrible. <laughs> this is horrific. But I had a thought in my head when I was walking through the middle aisle of the bus. I was looking down at the floor and, and we were so close. Like, they made us stand up. They have, this, they have this beautiful saying in the military, knock the butt, get that close to each other to file off the bus. You know what I mean? When the, when the person in front of me, which was almost touching my nose because we were so close, when they started stepping off the bus, I looked down at the steps and I go, okay, this is it. And when I said that to myself, it was just like, I'm all in. Like jumping out of a plane. It's going to happen. I'm not going to be scared anymore. I'm going to do this. And when my feet hit the pavement, when my, my boots hit the pavement, I was all go you know, full on go mode from that point on. And that, that was one of the biggest points in my life where I stood in my strength and was like, I'm going to, I'm going to rock this. And because of that, throughout the whole basic training, I helped other soldiers through various exercises and stuff, through various training exercises and things. And I found out a little bit of how strong I am on graduation day. We had to march toward the CT, the big area where all the families were, right? And your boy was calling cadence. And my mom was like, I know that voice. (laughs) She told me later. She's like, I know that. That's Jeremy. That's Jeremy. And then they saw the platoon coming around. I'm marching beside my platoon and calling cadence. And she was like, oh my God, you did it, you know? And so that was the result of me just finding my grit, you know? That's something nobody can really teach you. 
you can see other people do tough things and you can see other people do difficult, you know, physical feats, whatever, gymnasts or swimmers or bikers, you know, whatever. But until you are in that mode, until you feel the switch flip, until you're tested like that, you really don't know what you're made of. I am proud of what I did to get through that and what I learned about myself getting through basic training. So what was the hardest thing you've ever had to do in your life thus far? And how did you do it? I love my wife and my family so much. My wife is a nurse. She's travel nursing uh, and they are in Arkansas and they have been in Arkansas since September 28th. That is the most difficult thing I've, I've ever done, I think. A quiet house is the loudest thing I've ever heard. That is the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life is being without my family, which is my heart, man. And it almost broke me. I have learned so much about myself and so much about who I am as a, as a father and as a husband. What have been the three best moments of your life thus far? The three best, best moments. So, okay, so <clears throat> children. <laughs> you always think that you know what kind of kids your kids are going to be. You know what I mean? Like you, you, when your wife is pregnant, you're like rubbing the belly and you're like, man, my son's going to be a linebacker. He's going to kick butt, you know, or whatever. My daughter's going to be a singer, whatever, you know, whatever thought process you have. And then your kids are born. Then your kids get old enough to have sarcasm and wit. And then you, you meet them. You meet your kids, you know, like that is for me was one of the happiest, most amazing things in my life because I, I had that realization of like, you know what? I thought that you were going to be like this. I thought you were going to be like this. You guys are totally different humans. <laughs> You're your own amazing human. And I, I'm just so proud at how brilliant my kids are, man. No, seriously, like that, that's for me is one of the best things, the most amazing things, happy points in my life is when I met my kids and realized, wow, you guys are unique in your own ways, and I couldn't have ever imagined how amazing they would be. And and every day they surprise me, man. <laughs> every day, every week, they they say something or do something, and I'm just like, oh my god. My wife and I have been going through difficult things because of all of the space and because of things before things that patterns that we were in before they left. Um, she recently came here. We spent several days together and it was like she was my brand new girlfriend. It's like we fell in love all over again. We were us again, you know? The third and final uh, best thing in my life. I have always t uh, studied martial arts since I was a kid. I have always really liked the Japanese culture. I've always wanted to go to Japan. I've always wanted to experience the culture, you know, and experience what it really is about. Watching movies and seeing Japanese stuff on TV is not Japan. <laughs> I was, I do music. 
Um, you mentioned Macrophonic MC. I do music by the name of Macrophonic MC, like Big Sound MC. And I I got an offer by Toshiba EMI Records to come to Japan. Turns out it was not. It was bullshit, basically. But I I was so excited and and all in, and I got on a plane to Japan. <laughs> like legit got on a plane in japan my my friend i was staying with him and, and his uh wife's family i would get up early and eat a little bit and peace out by myself in japan get on a train just went and i went all over tokyo i went all over tokyo and i promoted myself as much as i could i got show after show after show booked at this point i didn't speak super good Japanese, but I was starting to learn. And man, I toured for three months. And and then I bought Carrie a ticket and I brought her to Japan. It was one of the best experiences I've ever had because I was on my own. I made so much money from so many shows and I actually had bands. All the all the little experiences and all of the immersion in a in another culture. There's this thing called WA. And it means like uh, like someone doing something nice for you just to do something nice for you. There's no meaning behind it. There's no like uh, they're not trying to get something out of you. They're just doing something nice for you, man, because that's the way the culture is. Like that's it. It's the sa- one of the safest places in the world. And that trip changed my life. I did it on my own, on my own steam, with my own drive. And I became more independent than I'd ever been in my life. Man, it was just a life-changing experience. I don't know how else to say it. That was one of the best experiences in my life too. What are your three most extraordinary accomplishments so far? I remember one time the wife and I were at the gym and I don't know specifically what I was doing. I think she was running on a treadmill and this other female was running next to her. Boom, face first on the treadmill, slides back out. I was like, oh shit, I ran over there, treated her for shock, made sure she, you know, everything's good. She, she was, you know, conscious and breathing and, uh, she just, I I don't know, man, dehydrated. I I got nothing. I don't know what was wrong with her, but I made sure she was good and she came to and she was all right. But I immediately was like, okay, that's where I went. You know what I mean? Um, another time. My brother-in-law called me and he was like, hey, dude, I was driving down the road and this girl was running and she just fell and she's not getting up. Can you, can you, you're real close. Can you come here? And I was like, oh shit. Okay. Yeah. Came there and put her underneath the tree. It was really hot outside. I put her underneath the tree. Don't ask me why. There were cans of paint and I put her head on, on paint. So their head was elevated a little bit. I elevated her feet. I rolled her, I rolled a, uh, some kind of clothing. I put her feet up. And, uh, and make sure she had something to drink. And she was very close to, uh, to heat exhaustion. And the medics got there and they were like, who treated her? And I was like, I did. Well, hey, thank you so much. You made our job way easier. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. And every time some shit would happen, I know people listening can't see this, but my wife would do this. <laughs> she would give me that side eye like, uh-huh, you know that you're supposed to be doing this. And she would tell me. She's like, you always talk about it. You should just get back into it. I'm like, no. And then I was going to pick my brother up uh, from the gym and a car was teetered over a ditch. Like, strangely, like it was just like uneven. One wheel was in the air. You know what I mean? It was like, 
angled over a ditch on the opposite side of the road. Like somebody just ran over into the ditch. And, and uh, I saw this, uh, it was an Asian guy on the phone. His his eyes were super wide. He's like, oh, you know, talking on the phone. I was like, fuck. It's pulled over. And I said, hey, can I see your phone? He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I said, hey, this is Jeremy. Um, it's Combat Medic. I'm going to check this guy. And I reached in. I was like, he's pulsing the synapnic. I'm going to pull him out and start compressions. And they were like, okay, we'll stay on the phone with this. Keep doing compressions till the EMS gets there. They're, they're en route. I was like, all right, cool. Well, this is the dumbest shit ever. I put my leg underneath the vehicle that was teetered over this ditch and undid his seatbelt because it was above me. Like it was, he, this was a large mammal. I pulled him out. I was, my adrenaline was going. I pulled him out onto the, onto the uh, ditch, slid him up the grass and, and laid him down and started compressions. And uh, other people got there that had just eaten with this guy. When bad things happen, and I mean, any kind of like any kind of bad things, when, when, when scary or bad things happen, I go, my, my perception of reality slows down and I see exactly what's happening, what I need to do. And I'm, and my body just goes like, I just do it. You know what I mean? Like it's like ingrained in me somehow. And that was like, that was one of the, one of the cases, like I just kept compressions and I wasn't even, I had no clue how long I was there. No clue. But I felt somebody tap me on my shoulder and I rotated out. They said, we got a femoral pulse. And uh, the guy that was there, he was like, what What do we, What does that mean? And I was like, they got a femoral pulse. That means his heart is beating again. They were like, yes, you know, this is great. And then uh, so the police called <laughs> my house like two weeks later or something like that. And I went, they were like, this is Wilmington PD. And I was like, I didn't do it. I started laughing. <laughs> and uh, they're like, no, we have this guy here. And he uh, wanted to talk to you. And I was like, ah, I don't know about that. You know what I mean? Like. But I was like, okay, cool, and uh, said that he, you know, he uh, he wanted to meet me and he thank, shake my hand and stuff, and I was like, okay, cool, cool, met him. But long story short, he would not take no for an answer, and he paid for my basic EMT class, one hundred percent paid for it, and uh, and it's not cheap. It's not a cheap thing, and and because of that, I put. Ex- extreme pressure on myself to do really well in the class and i did and i i beat the crap out of that class i graduated immediately got a job and uh and then i went to my advanced i got i'm now an advanced emt and man i love it love what i do and uh and it all spawned from that uh that that was pretty that was pretty incredible what is your self-talk like day to day something good is going to happen to me today that's it there's a little basic thing but I'm like, something good is going to happen to me today. You know, something, I don't know when, I don't know how big it's going to be, but something good is going to happen to me today because it's so easy to get down and so easy to get, go down the rabbit hole of, oh my God, I have to do all this. This life is shitty, blah, blah, blah. But I just keep that one thing. Some Something good is going to happen to me today. One thing, just one thing. If there are more things, sweet, but I know there's going to be something. And I'm going to look for it. (laughs) And that keeps me going. So that's my day-to-day right there. What are your three most vulnerable moments that you're willing to share? Uh, I was working concrete. And we had been working from 6 in the morning. And it was about 1 in the afternoon. And I hydrate. Like, I'm always very sure that I, I am hydrated. However, today, this day, I was holding the the chute 
and I was I was guiding the shoot and I hit my knees and I, I was like not not bumped into something with my knees. I fell to the ground and couldn't get up off my knees. I'm in pretty damn good physical shape and I was in really good physical shape then because I work concrete all the damn time. I couldn't get up. Like I literally could not make my body get up. And I was like, oh uh, shit. What I was like, somebody hold the shoot. And they just walked around me and kept shoveling the, the curb and somebody took it. And I sat there and I was just like, I'm gonna be up in a second. And it was prob I don't know how long it was. It felt like forever, but it was probably like five minutes, maybe ten minutes. Got up to one knee and uh one foot, I guess, whatever. And I was like, okay, I can do this. And when I stood up, I finally stood up. I had to keep my hands on my knees because I thought I was going to fall over. And I was like, okay, something's really not right. And I was like, boss, I'm going. And uh, my boss was like, okay, because he knows me. I was like, really, really, really hard worker. And he was like, something's not right. Go. And uh, he's like, you coming back after lunch? I was like, nope. He's like, okay. Got my car. And I called the doctor and i was like i made it an appointment um when i went to the appointment i had some uh a lot of tests run actually i went to the appointment she checked me out physically and then she set an appointment for a cardiologist and i was like yay went to the cardiologist and uh had a ecg echocardiogram where they you know like a like a ultrasound for your heart they looked at everything they put leads on me checked my electrical activity all that stuff and found out that I was born with a congenital heart defect. I, I told my doctor, I was like, look, man, I do a lot of physical physical things um, in my life, like crazy physical stuff. I was talking about go rock and, you know, talking about martial arts and stunt shit. And he was like, man, you're good. I, I run marathons, so you're fine. I was like, okay, okay, cool. But the vulnerable part, where the vulnerable part comes in is, dude, my whole life, entire life, I have never been like, I need help. <laughs> I need to go see a doctor for my health ever in my life, man. And that took a lot for me to go, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, you, we, you've heard stories about, old men that that die because they're like something's wrong but eh it'll it'll pass i'll fix it later that's me that's i'm that i'm that old man <laughs> and it and and it took a like it was a lot for me to go i'm going to go see a doctor therapy dude that is also something i would never fucking do in my life ever that took a lot uh, that that took a, an immense amount of vulnerability for me to schedule a meeting with the therapist, go see the therapist, sit in the office, and be like, "Okay, what do I talk about now? You know what? Like what? I was like, I had no clue what to do, what to say, or what to you know what is going to be like." Tell me about another time that you were very vulnerable in your life that you're willing to share. Marriage itself. You have to be vulnerable. You have to work at marriage. You know, some people say marriage is, is work. You have to work at it to get better. 
true, but the way that I look at it when people say it like that is totally different from what it is. It's not like a work. It's not like a job that you go to that you don't like. It's like building a beautiful painting. You're working to make those brushstrokes. You're working to research how to make those brushstrokes the best brushstrokes they can be. All the work of setting up the correct canvas and setting up the correct paints and researching what paints are the best and putting it all together, all of that stuff comes together to make a beautiful painting. And that's all work. But it's not, it's a, it's a labor of love, you know? Like that sounded corny, but it is. When you get married, you become not necessarily one person, but you become a unit. You become a team. And that takes, to make a successful team, as with anything else, it takes work in open communication, listening, actually listening, actually saying what you feel, expressing your thoughts and emotions correctly. That's a better way to say it. Expressing your thoughts and emotions correctly because that was my big shit. Ah, that was big time. And you have to be vulnerable to know your weaknesses, to accept your weaknesses and to show some people, to show her your weaknesses or show him your weaknesses, whatever. You know what I mean? Like you, you have to accept them, accept their flaws, show them your flaws and build together. She's strong in ways that I am definitely not. I'm definitely strong in ways that she is definitely not, you know? And together we make a fucking good team, man. Like we are, we're best friends, man. We have a great time. And, uh, and it's all because <laughs> we were both like, you know what? I'm fucking up. I'm sorry. I'm going to make it better. This is, how, this is how I fucked up. I realized I did this and this and said this and this or whatever. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do better because us, I want us to be priority. I want, I love you. This is what I've chosen for my life. You know, <laughs> that's an, an immense amount of vulnerability on my part. I think. What are your bravest moments that you're willing to share? One is, is the first time I went skydiving when I was 15 years old. I think I was 15. It, whatever the age was in Arkansas that you had to reach to go skydiving, it was on my birthday <laughs> that year. And I was just like, this is one of the scariest freaking things that I could think of. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and uh, and I did it. And I've been seven times since then. That was definitely one of them. Um, so this is going to get a little bit serious. This, the second one's going to get a little, little bit serious. So. Uh, one of those horrible stepdads, actually the worst one. Uh, I heard a noise outside of the house. My mom and him had split up. He had consistently been a bad person physically, you know, just anyway. Uh, so I heard a noise outside of our house. Our house was half it was like partially underground, like half on a hill, you know, and underneath the part that was on the hill or in the hill, uh, it had an opening on each side of the house and we stored like firewood and crap down there. It was all completely black. It was, a you know, rats, uh, bugs, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and 
I don't I honestly don't know how I heard this noise, but again, she and he had split up. Uh my aunt was there this night and I went outside. I always my entire life if something scares me, I'm going to go conquer it. You know what I mean? I'm going to go to like when I was a kid and something was scary in the corner of the room, of dark room, instead of being in my bed and be like, oh my God, it's going to kill me. I would get out of my bed and go straight to that corner and be ready to punch it. And it was never anything there. There was never anything there. It was just a dark corner or a shirt hanging on a chair or whatever the crap. You know what I mean? And I would sleep like a baby after that. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, when I heard something outside, I went outside. I was like, I'm protecting the house. And I'm, I was in high school, so I was probably 16, maybe something like that, in in the height of my knuckleheadedness. Um, and I I stood on the porch upstairs, and I was like, I swear I heard something. And I sat there for a second. I was like, huh. And I acted like I opened the door and shut it, and I stayed there. And then I heard it again. I was like, huh. And so I went. There's a little wall, and I went on the side of the wall down to the toward the backyard, sort of middle yard, you know, side of the house where the opening for that place is. And I opened it up, and I I couldn't. It was super dark. Couldn't see anything. And I heard something, and then I and then I saw a silhouette, and I knew it was him. I knew that silhouette was him in my fucking soul i knew it was him and i went huh out loud huh i guess i'm just fucking hearing things weird and i shut the door and called the cops and i mean called the cops when i got in the house um this dude i was scared of he was six one six two probably close to 300 pounds he was a big dude he threw me through a wall when I was 12 years old. Like, this guy was an asshole. An asshole. He's a very dangerous man. Um, and the cops all knew him by name because he was so dangerous. Um, and when I called the cops and told them that he is hiding down there in the dark and my family is here, um, they came real fast <laughs> with like three squad cars and an undercover like a like a POV or a personally owned vehicle or an undercover squad car. I don't know what it was. Um and they I told him where he was and they went on both sides and they had I my aunt and myself uh my mom took the kids in the back bedroom so they couldn't hear or see anything. My aunt and myself were in my uh one of my siblings rooms when we had the window open and the porch was right in front of us and we could see through the slats of wood, we could see lights flickering back and forth because they were looking for him with the, with the light on their weapons on their pistols. And then they were like, we see you, we see you right there. You stay where you are. And, uh, and then we heard some struggling. Um, and then more struggling and my aunt and I looked at each other and we're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, is he going to get shot? Like we were hoping for it, honestly, at this point. And um, 
and then we heard oh like he was screaming and just like you could hear him go ah, like he was running and <laughs> and then we heard more fighting um i saw none of this i just saw the flickering of lights and heard all this stuff so then the gate opened and they had him in handcuffs and he had a bloody lip his nose might have been bleeding too i'm not sure but he was wet because they were on the ground and that nasty stuff in there and they had him in handcuffs two cops one on each arm elbow you know leading him to the squad car and uh i ran to the back porch this is this is the moment i was so scared <laughs> huh I was so scared, I could barely walk. And I forced myself to. And I got to, <clears throat> am. I got to the back porch and I looked down and they were about to put him in the cop car and he looked up at me and locked eyes. <laughs> And, uh, and I stared at him and with every fiber of my being, I was like, fuck you. You're never, ever going to hurt any of us again, ever. And if you come back, like in my, this is in my mind, if you come back up, I'm going to fucking kill you. Like I'm, I, I was ready, dude. At that point, I was no longer a scared little kid. I was like, I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> I'm not going to let you do this anymore. And he knew it, dude. He saw the look in my eye and his whole demeanor changed. He was like, his shoulder slumped and he fell back like, huh. And he got in the cop car. He was obviously drunk. He tried to kick the window out. They got him back out and manhandled him. Then they put him back in and uh, and they drove off. But at that point, I was like, I will never let any human scare me like that again not gonna happen ever because he terrorized us bro <laughs> like terrorized us and when the when the cops rode out of there my aunt and I were like, yeah, he's gone. Fuck him. I hope he goes to prison. <laughs> um, of course, for that offense, you can't, you know, like that was just a, like a stalking. I don't know what they, I don't even know what they did really. Um, and to surmise, <laughs> about a week and a half later, again, Gangbanger. I was a gangbanger. 
I was deep in it too. I was full hearted, fully fledged, believed in it. You know, he, our front door was a big, thick wooden door. Big. I mean, I mean, this is a large, thick, old school wood door. And beside it was a window from top from the top of the door to the bottom that was um i don't know three feet wide four feet wide maybe like not not that wide my house is two-story i was coming up the stairs to the top story uh, to the top floor and i heard mom go oh my god that fucker was trying to break in the door and he did open the door and my mom, who is not a big person, this is when I saw a superhuman strength thing, you know, for the first time. She held that huge dude out. She held the door closed. He could not get in. She kept, the door's cracked, but he could not open that door. Used all of his weight, could not get in the door. And uh, I was like, Mom, where's my where's where are the rounds for my shotgun? I had a sawed-off shotgun hidden behind a row of shoes underneath my closet, like in the back of my closet. And she took my my, my shotgun shells. Anyway, she said, they're under my bed. And I ran. I, I ran and got the shells, and I ran downstairs to get the shotgun. I was loading it and running up the stairs, and my I was eye-level with the floor. When I saw glass, I heard, and glass like cascaded across the floor in front of me, right in front of me. He had jumped through that fucking window, bro. This is how crazy this guy was. And I was like, as soon as that happened, I turned the corner with my shotgun. I was like, hell yeah. And he saw it. He's like, fuck. And he jumped right back through there. And man, that dude can run for a fat man. That dude was in the car before I could get the, the shotgun up to shoot him. He was gone. And that was the last time I ever saw that piece of shit. All because of that that time standing on the back porch looking him in his eye. That is the bravest thing I've ever done. Wow. I uh, did not know I was gonna get emotional saying that shit, bro. I don't know what to say. I'm Woo. But but uh, I want to sincerely thank uh, you for. Well, I wasn't that. expecting it. <laughs> that's, that's incredibly powerful, and I'm sorry that yeah, you went through that. But damn, for sure. Yeah, me too. But hey, if if I can do it, abuse goes on all the time, and you just have to make your mind up. When that shit's going to stop. Once you. Once you truly go. Not anymore motherfucker. That's when it's done. It's not happening again. So. That's what I went through. Hopefully you can. <laughs> hopefully somebody will relate to it. And be like you know what. I'm going to not let this happen anymore. It's truly. It's truly. Making a decision man. Like, even if your legs are shaking, even if your voice is shaking, make the decision and stand your ground. Because 
until you do that, man, you're just gonna let fear own you. You know? And it gets it I can say with 100% certainty, it gets easier the more you do it. The The first time that you truly stand your ground like that, like that was f- so monumentally hard, so monumentally difficult, but I did it. And I know that I can do it because I did that. And then future things, you know, things that happen in the future after that, happened and i and i was like no (laughs) i'm not gonna fucking let this happen again i'm not going to i'm not going to be scared anymore you know and not it didn't it doesn't alleviate all the fear of course you know you're always gonna be scared in, in moments but but you know that you have that choice to be like no fuck you (laughs) not today we've got three more questions how do you handle stress and or anxiety? Mm, totally different. Totally different. Uh, so stress is different than anxiety for me. I think by definition it is for everybody. Anxiety will always be involved in stress, but there are different types of anxiety, crippling panic attack anxiety, uh, which I've unfortunately experienced, um, is different. I, I didn't, <laughs> you know, I said, I'm the type of guy that I'll just, if something's wrong, I'll be like, whatever, I'll fucking deal with it later. You know, that type thing. Well, uh, you know, through therapy officially now, I guess, uh, I have PTSD, you know, from <laughs> a slew of shit. Um, and it's about finding my center. You remember the quote that I was telling you, Dan Millman paraphrased, told, right here, right now. Sit. That is it. And I say it until when, and I'm speaking specifically of, of like uh, anxiety. I say it until I realize what it is. But why am I pissed off? Because of something that happened? It's already happened. It's in the past. It's done. It's not going to affect my future future who knows anyway i was like literally this moment right here this place where i am i'm supposed to be here right now and this time frame is the only thing i can control and i just got so calm dude stress is every day no matter what i'm going to have stress in my life my job or my family situation or bills or whatever i'm gonna have it one thing that works so well for stress and anxiety for me is I physically beat my own ass. <laughs> I work out. I, I was doing 100 push-ups, 100 setups, 100 um, squats every single day for like 89 days in a row. And then I do pull-ups before shift at work. As long as I beat myself physically, <laughs> routinely, I promise it alleviates stress because I don't drink alcohol. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. Like this is, that's all I do is I be my own ass. And, and that works out for me. What do you think the biggest issue is in the world today? So technology is a blessing and a curse. Cell phones in particular have changed life as we know it. 
they have changed. Have you talked to a young person recently? <laughs> like, have you have you sat there and had a conversation with a young person? Um, and I'm not saying that all young, young, younger people, like people who are in their 20s right now. I have recently. And um, there are, you know, different people are different. But the people that have grown up not knowing anything other than social media, anything other than how many likes they get, how many people share, what they're eating. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like empty technology has tried to bring everyone together. It was made to bring us closer together, but all it's doing is making us feel more alone. That's it. It's just making us have our own little bubbles that never cross bubbles with other people, but we can see in everybody's bubble. <laughs> you know, like it's it's all contained, self-contained little universes. And because of that, this is just my personal opinion, but because of that, a lot of empathy and hope and just genuinely caring for other humans has diminished greatly class anyone having class like being classy not going to is almost almost extinct people say mean things to be cool people bully other people because it's what you do now you know it's not it's like a it's like expected it seems to me that technology has taken away a lot of character that people would have if they had more time to develop they haven't had a chance to develop themselves or get to know themselves because they've been liking what everybody is what cars people are driving and the trips that they're going on and the the clothing that they have and it's like everyone's regurgitating what everyone else is doing everyone is just factory producing what's popular and that's it. <laughs> it's all about being popular. It's all about getting the shares and the likes and the subscriptions and the, you know, whatever. Follow my channel. Subscribe to this. Like this video. Share this video. I definitely agree with you that technology is both a good thing and a bad thing. And that technology does do a lot of, a lot of injustice does create, is created by technology. So how do you think we go about balancing that or fixing that issue? I don't know that there is a stop break for an avalanche <laughs> i don't i don't think it's possible to even slow the the flow of information to that point and that, and i think it would be a really detrimental thing if if it did actually happen so okay i'm a gamer and a phrase that gamers say is bro touch grass and that means if someone has as uh, I play this FPS, a first-person shooter, so super nerdy stuff. I play a first-person shooter, and <clears throat> people that are really good at it, like really, really, really good, and have really good stats, statistics, like a lot of kills and a lot of damage or whatever, badges, um, they'll be like, instead of congratulating them, like, damn, you're great. Like, that's amazing you're that good. They'll be like, yeah, bro, go touch grass. That means like unplug, get outside in nature and and just relax, like refuel. Like 
I am fortunate enough to live by the ocean. And every time, without a doubt, when, this could go for that anxiety and stress question as well. Every time, without a doubt, when I go to the ocean, I'll be like, oh, God, I don't want to fight traffic. I don't want to find a parking place. I don't want to whatever the crap, you know, of the day. When I get to the beach and when I finally sit down or when I put my feet in the ocean and I smell the salt air and I hear the gulls and hear the waves and feel the barometric pressure of the of the beach, it in my soul resets me. I have an overwhelming calm feeling just huh, finally it it's it's the it's the right here right now on steroids <laughs> my advice is get out in nature if you like mountains go to the mountains if you like walking trails go to the trails if you like rucking like Shawn Michael, go rucking. You know what I mean? Do a go ruck challenge. He loves those. If you want to go to the beach, go to the beach. <laughs> if you surf, if you kayak, if you paddleboard, if you snowboard, ski, rock climb, just get out there and do that. Well, that completes all of our questions. And now the fun part. Um, call this the afterburner. Uh, this, is, this is your time to speak here. Uh, so what is your message to the world, Jeremy Martin? Hmm. My message to the world. I could throw out a bunch of quotes. <laughs> I could say, try to say the most profound thing, but I think I'm going to do it the macrophonic. I'm going to do it my way. <clears throat> Mental capacities surpassed by passing Jurassic Lee's of greenery. Scenery becomes devoid of gravity. You got the point where you can listen to pass the information to the back of your cabin to get mentally charged like a battery? Okay, see, naturally, having the very best of life, though, I mean, you have to be trapped in the atmosphere of aloe vera, smear skin, and men and women living lavishly, act like they happily ever after. Matter of fact, I ain't even trying to buy that story, see? Because I'm living in the real world, like MTV, where nobody's got the time to give you a dime and you find your mind makes you successful as your muscles and everybody tussles the rest of your leaves. So please don't believe what you see on TV, because reality, man, it ain't shit like that. You get knocked down, you got to strike back, got to fight back, got to get up and like that, got to wipe that expression, learn them a lesson for messing with the bounce back kid. Shit. That's the way I see it. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Macrophonic MC, Jeremy, Jeremy Martin. Hey. That, that was, that was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you for all this. This, this was great. I don't know what I was thinking uh this would be but it was way better <laughs> like it was, this was a great experience man i really appreciate you you have me on i cannot thank you enough uh, for being so real and authentic and uh, um i mean open it up it was uh definitely something that i will never forget ladies and gentlemen jeremy martin